Welcome to the Orchard Podcast, a resource of Orchard Africa. The mission of Orchard Africa is to equip the church to care for the vulnerable. For three decades, a passionate community of churches, leaders, and donors have worked together to feed, educate, care for, and empower under-resourced communities in Southern Africa. To date, Orchard Africa and its partners have served over 10 million meals to families in need, cared for over 75,000 orphan children, and enrolled 8,000 children in high-quality early learning programs. All of this takes place with local African leaders to help communities move from survival to stability to sustainability. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Orchard Podcast. My name is Brian Lemieux, and I'm the executive pastor of Orchard Africa, and I'm here at the table, as always, with Mike and Michelle Tessendorf, the co-founders of Orchard Africa. Hi, everyone. Hello, everybody. If... Uh, you haven't had an opportunity to um, meet Mike and Michelle. Michelle is um, our CEO and the executive director of Orchard Africa, and she leads uh, the direction and vision uh, day-to-day ministry, um, both here in the United States and in South Africa. And Mike is our senior pastor and provides leadership guidance, mentoring for uh, what we call our Orchard Network, which is the network of pastors and church leaders in in Southern Africa. And uh, we are so grateful to have you um, listening in today. Uh, Our purpose is to help you make a positive and sustainable impact in some of the places of greatest need in our world. And um, this year has uh, really flown by. We've been doing this podcast for now. uh, This is the 10th month. And so um, we're wrapping up 2021. Can you believe uh, it's been almost a year? Wow. It, it, no, I can't. It just all seems to have faded into each other. There are times during this year when it seemed like it was going to be such a long year, but gee, it's gone by so quickly. However, that might be us giving away our age. They say the older you get, the quicker the year goes by. <laughs> it's been a slow year. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, it's been fun having conversations about um, um, mission, compassion, Uh, making an impact globally, um, caring for the vulnerable, and whether you are um, a missions leader in your church or a missions director or maybe a small group leader who cares about uh, the vulnerable or a a donor or a supporter, uh, we've appreciated the opportunity to have a conversation about what that can look like in our life when it comes to to missions and impact. And today we want to uh, continue that conversation by uh, thinking through uh, a topic and a subject that, Michelle, has been on your mind and heart and um, something we've had some conversation about as a team, but... Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to have you share. Sure. As Christ followers, um, we are always in pursuit of godliness. to be like God, to be like Jesus. And to be like God or to be like Jesus, we need to follow what Jesus modeled for us. And in looking at the life of Jesus, what we see him modeling is things like prayer and fasting and study and worship and simplicity and sacrifice and service. And uh, that list and more has come to be known as the spiritual disciplines. 
And so in our pursuit of godliness, spiritual disciplines is what helps get us there. Uh, it strengthens mm. our faith. It strengthens our inward man to, to become more like God. And I'm uh, reminded of that scripture that says that um, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Mm. It doesn't say it'll come naturally or automatically. It says discipline mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then it says godliness is beneficial for all things since it, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so godliness is part of who we are as Christians. And those spiritual disciplines are part of who we are. And in looking to what we do at Orchard Africa and um, this idea of serving and uh, equipping the vulnerable in our world, it would fall under, in my thinking, the spiritual disciplines of service and sacrifice and simplicity. Mm. And um, it made me think, well, why do we do what we do? You know, that saying is always start with your why, because if you lose your why, you lose your way. Yeah. Why do we do what we mm -hmm. do? It's in pursuit of godliness and service and sacrifice and simplicity is part of those spiritual disciplines that lead us to godliness. It's not something we do to earn brownie points with God. Mm. It's not, well, now I, I can check off the box that I served somebody or I sacrificed something. It's truly a lifestyle. It's, it's a condition of our heart um, that those things then naturally start flowing out of us more and more. But it starts off as a discipline. Mm. And disciplines aren't always easy. We know that that same scripture that I read, I left that part out. It says that um, bodily training is just slightly beneficial. <laughs> but we know mm. that when we start any kind of exercise routine, it's hard. Mm. Mm. But it's a discipline, as is the spiritual mm. disciplines that lead us into godliness, uh, the pursuit of God, the, the character of God. Mm. That idea that... Um the why and starting with the right why and that for us and for the ministry of orchard africa that godliness is that start you know it makes me think of the other phrase that's been said that that how you start determines where you go right, and right. starting with a pursuit of godliness when it comes to compassion or kindness or missions i think leads you to a completely different place than maybe a, another why or another start that would right. be uh, um, you know maybe it can start about me as mm -hmm. opposed to what god wants to do uh, in and through me and so just an interesting thought of let's start with godliness and and, and see where that takes us yeah yeah, and I think you're right there. You know, at Orchard we have a saying that sometimes we meet our need to serve rather than the actual need on the ground. Mm -hmm. And that would be the wrong why is when we are uh, meeting our need to serve. Uh, serving is a spiritual discipline in pursuit of godliness. It's not something that should be satisfying me or uh, making me feel good. It's mm -hmm. moving me toward being more Christ-like. When we see these things as uh, spiritual disciplines and actually as a pursuit of godliness, I think it certainly affects our motive. And possibly um, 
the ability or the desire to keep on doing it. Because if we do things with uh, different motives and the why is not that we are pursuing godliness and, and trying to be more like him in our actions, uh, when things don't work out or we don't see the rewards or we don't see the appreciation or we feel like this is getting too hard, uh, I think the temptation is there to kind of, well, let's find an easier way or let's find a different way or let's just stop. Mm. But if it's a discipline of pursuing God and pursuing mm. Uh, godliness mm. that's an eternal motive and regardless of the outcomes right. on the ground and regardless of the appreciation or the acknowledgement we might get um, ultimately uh, we, 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 we're trying to be like him and ultimately we're trying to please him and as I said that's that's eternal that never ends right mm. agreed you know this uh, another another way to talk about godliness is um, to be Christ-like Yes, mm. and Jesus is the perfect expression of what it means to see God mm. and His character and mm. His behavior, and and so um, modeling our life after what we see in in the life of Christ in the Gospels. And one of the things about the earliest church, uh, the earliest Christians, is they took that very very seriously. Like, okay, Jesus. Uh, lived and taught a, a life in a certain way and reflected God. And so as a result, now that he's ascended to heaven, we want to reflect him, want to be more like him. And it was that pursuit of not only the words of Jesus, but the deeds of Jesus that yes. transformed the the ancient world. And it's just uh, incredible. It's just mind-boggling when you think about how fast the church grew under um, the early church. Yeah. I was just uh, this past week looking at the um, the first few centuries of the early church and how it grew, and it started at you know about uh, the year forty with a thousand Christians, and then every decade it grew forty percent to the point uh, a few hundred years later, it went from a thousand people, a thousand believers to 33 million people. That's amazing. And the primary thing that made them attractive was that their their words and their deeds aligned. Mm. So what they said they were about ref was reflected in, in what they did and how they lived, and in particular, the way that they, they cared for the poor. Um, it's interesting that Emperor Julian, uh, um, in those early centuries, he was a pagan. He wasn't a believer, but he saw the early Christians living out that discipline of service and um, simplicity and um, sacrifice. And he actually said, we need to imitate the Christians because their church is growing at a much rap more rapid rate than paganism is. And so he saw in them something so attractive that he said, well, let's, let's imitate what they're doing. And so it, it just caused this ripple of impact and change um, in, in the earliest growth. And I think that um, we have a lot to learn from one, looking at the life of Jesus and his behaviors and how he, his words and deeds matched up and then how, yes. the, how the early church did that as well. Mm. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I think um, 
that when we pursue godliness or Christ-likeness and we become more like Christ, the natural uh, progression from that is away from myself and toward others. I start loving others more. I start looking at others more. I start including others more. Um, it's not just all about me. And mm-hmm. sometimes in our modern uh, Christianity, it's all about me. Uh, how do I grow? How do I go to a, a church that meets the needs of my family? And mm-hmm. none of that is in itself wrong, but it needs to move away from me toward others. Mm. Um, and that's what we see in Jesus. It was always about others, and that's what he modeled for his disciples so that we get to the point of the year 40, and they just naturally continued mm. doing what they saw Jesus did. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting, kind of going back to the history, uh, that it was in the early earliest days of the church that there were two significant major pandemics that uh, went through the Roman world. One was in um, kind of the mid-100s, and then the other one was in the mid-200s. And it was believed that about a third of the population in that first pandemic lost their lives. Wow. And in the second pandemic, 5,000 people were passing away um, um, a day, 5,000 a day in, in Rome. So this massive pandemic. And then um, one of the Christian leaders during that time said this about the Christians. Um, who were on the front lines serving and caring for the the most ill and, and those who were, who were vulnerable. He said, um, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never, never sparing themselves and thinking only of um, others. Heedless of prayer, uh, oh, sorry, heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. Hmm. So these earliest Christians facing pandemic were the ones that said, we we want to be on the front lines and yeah. care for the sick. And not, as you said, Michelle, not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of others in, in, in the way that Jesus modeled. Yeah, I think whenever we start following Christ and uh, Christ-likeness, everything turns from me to we. It's about mm. us about everybody, not just me. You know, I'd like to say that it goes even further than that. It moves from me to others, but ultimately it should move us to God. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize the whole act of service and and the the disciplines that Jesus modeled. Um, But just thinking of something Paul said when uh, we all know the uh, passage of Scripture where he wrote about becoming all things to all men, uh, that by any means he might save some. But I like what he said. Uh, he said, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of the people, or not for the sake of um, mm. what they're going to get out of it. I do it for the sake of the gospel. And so ultimately it goes even beyond the others. It's how can I reveal and demonstrate and obey the gospel and imitate my Lord and my master and, and, and display Christ-likeness in my life? And to me, that's a pure motive. And ultimately, I think discipline should pursue us to that purity of, um, I'm doing this for God. Mm. And Mm. the outworking becomes, I serve others. And perhaps as a result of that, it actually helps me grow as a a person, as Mm. a Christ follower. Right. Back to that uh, opening statement is, 
the pursuit of Christ, mm. the pursuit of God, mm. leads us then to to godliness, which needs to be disciplined. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned the pandemics in the uh, history of the early yep. church. Um, in our 30 years of service, we've walked through two pandemics, one right in the early years and one just in very recent years. Um, but when I think back to uh, the AIDS pandemic in the 90s and early 2000s, where um, it was devastating to everybody, not just to those infected and affected, but by those who were wrestling with, what do we do? And one of the things that struck me in those early years was that uh, the people who were um, HIV positive and the people who were um, classified as AIDS victims were literally the lepers mm -hmm. of our day. I mean, they were cast out of their communities. Their children were shunned. Uh, many of them were uh, forced to live on the outskirts of the community that was their home. Um, and that's where we found them. And um, I remember how it used to just break Michelle and my heart to think that these are people who are part of a family, part of a community, who have roots and homes and investment in the community, and suddenly they are untouchable, unapproachable, yeah. unwanted. Yeah. And uh, even by their own family, you know, these are communities that um, truly live the community life where their uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters all live in the same community. And I think what mm. caused this thing of being an outcast was fear, absolute fear of we don't know why they're dying, we don't know why they're getting sick. There's mm. a lot of mm. uh, fear. But then we know that the scripture says perfect love casts out fear. And so that godliness, again, comes back to godliness, is motivated and uh then uh, we see the love of God working through us. Mm. And I think that that's what you're talking about when we saw uh, people literally living in cardboard boxes on the outskirts of a village and their children rummaging on the garbage dump for food. Uh, the compassion of Christ within us compelled us to do something. Mm. You can't turn away when Christ is in you and it, it was something must be done. Yeah. I can't turn away. I yeah. can't look away. Well, the thing that made me think about the lepers is just how forsaken and, and, mm -hmm. and outcast those people are. But then in, in solitude and in, in prayer, just wondering, so how would Jesus have responded to these people? And that took me back to, well, how did he respond to the outcasts of his day? How did he respond mm -hmm. to the lepers? And mm -hmm. I mean, time after time we read in the Gospels where he went to them, he touched them, he loved them, he cared for them, and he healed them. But right. he, 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 he certainly didn't shun them. Yeah. And while many people were afraid, and while many uh, were being shunned, uh, we really felt like we need to do what Jesus would have done and respond the way he would have done and, and went to them and educated ourselves on how we could go to them. Mm. And uh, we found out afterwards that it had been proven that just a touch on somebody who is desperately sick can boost the immune mm. system mm. And, and just, you know, bring life back, bring life back mm. to them. And we saw that. Mm. Mm. And so in a sense, 
um, it was an imitation of Jesus responding to those who were shunned. Right. And then it, it leads us to the second pandemic that we've all just been through. Uh, the same thing. I think people were fearful. Mm. South Africa locked down in a very, very strict lockdown. And people were afraid. Uh, nobody knew, well, how contagious is this thing? What's mm. going to happen? Mm. But again, I look at our ministry and the beautiful, wonderful people that we work with, all of us saying, yes, uh, there is a pandemic, there is danger, but people are destitute in their homes. They're in lockdown. There's no food for them. They can't get to food because these are people who are vulnerable and they don't have jobs. They don't have money to stockpile food like a lot of us were able to do. Uh, We were their only lifeline. And again, where our church leaders in Orchard Africa became those frontline workers, those first responders, it sounds a little bit like what you were reading, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, quoting from the early church. And again, I say, well, why? Why did that happen? And it's got nothing to do with any of us being particularly saintly. It's got to do with Christ within us that compels us into action. Mm-hmm. Uh, service and sacrifice is so much a part of godliness. Mm. Mm. When I think about uh, Jesus on <clears throat> that last night with his disciples at the um, the first uh, communion up in the upper room, he he says that that kind of service is so countercultural, even for his day, which was a communal kind of focused community as well. Just as you mentioned, Mike, in Africa, it's a communal-focused culture. But in, I guess in another way he's saying it's not just cult, um, countercultural, it's counter-human, counter-human nature, that we would um, pursue what serves us first. In fact, he says, uh, who is greater? This is Luke 22. Uh, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table that he's saying, you know, human nature isn't the greatest person who's the one being served? Uh, but he says, but I am among you as one who serves. Mm-hmm. And he, in that moment, says, I'm going to turn turn this completely over. And so uh, the greatest person is the one is the one who serves as opposed to uh, the one who sits at the table and, and is served. Mm. And uh, it puts uh, puts the person who's serving um, on the front lines of caring for those who have been forgotten, right? And for those who are sick, and those who are strangers, and those who don't have anybody to visit them. And yeah. but it's this kind of counter-human nature. Mm-hmm. What I think, whatever culture you're in, I think there's this part of us in our human nature that wants to be the greatest. You know, rise to the top. Even, I think even uh, sometimes uh, lately in the in the church world that um, leadership development has taken over of discipleship, yeah, mm. and uh, helping um, Christians have greater influence. Which again, as you said, Michelle, isn't a bad thing. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he seems like he kept hitting on this point of humility and uh, service and being the least and. Um, following his example as a disciple, 
as opposed to the, you know, the best leadership training right. of the day. <laughs> right. Because you can have great leaders who are not godly at all. We must remember that we're in pursuit of godliness. We're in pursuit of Christ-likeness, not in pursuit of great leadership, mm. even though great leadership is a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes when you talk about godliness and the pursuit of godliness, we have this idea that uh, it's so super spiritual. But the scripture clearly says that godliness is beneficial for all things. It holds promise for the present life life and also for the life to come. So it's not just about, well, let's be godly so that uh, one day in, you know, when we're all in heaven, we're going to do whatever godliness things we're going to do. It's what godliness things are we going to do today? Mm. Because godliness is beneficial for this life. Mm. And if our godliness is not beneficial, then we need to question whether it's actually godliness. In what way is our godliness beneficial to Mm. this life not just for ourselves but for those around us and i think Mm. that's what we saw in the early church Uh, the early church was beneficial to society Mm. Mm. the beauty of pursuing godliness though is that it's something that all of us can do and it's actually something all of us can attain Um, not all of us are going to be successful or wealthy or famous or uh, you know have a good reputation and everybody knows us. But godliness, is, it's, it's available. Godliness is possible. And um, it, it, life gets hard when you're in this rat race and you're comparing yourself to your next-door neighbor or to your friends or your peer group, and they're all getting ahead and you're not. Mm. But when it comes to godliness, we can all do it and we can all succeed at it. We can mm. all attain it. And we can all then see the results of it, regardless of who we are. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, God is not a respecter of persons. God does not have favorites. And um, the eyes of the Lord are on those who, who seek after him and who, who call on him. And so mm. anybody who decides to pursue this can actually make it. Right. It, it's something that is available to all of us. Um, Godliness, as we have said, comes through a discipline. It's not something that is just bestowed on somebody who's extremely holy. Godliness is a discipline. We reach godliness or we pursue godliness through the disciplines. And um, I was wondering if we could look at the three disciplines that it speaks m- mostly to what we do mm. at uh, Orchard Africa or uh, those of us who are um, wanting to care for the vulnerable, uh, church leaders in their outreach ministries and so forth. Uh, clearly, all of us should be praying and fasting and studying and going to worship services and all of those. But I think the three uh, spiritual disciplines that I'd like us to talk about would be uh, simplicity, sacrifice, and service. I see those three uh, disciplines being important uh, for what we do and the outworking that it has in our life towards the vulnerable of our world. So, you know, simplicity, well, what does it mean? Uh, how, how do we practice simplicity? And for me, it's a turning away from materialism. It's not turning away from having stuff. It's a turning away from that 
materialism that we we're constantly searching for and after it's where materialism takes the place of God in our life and so simplicity is turning away from that sense of I must have stuff mm. um, and t- it's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things will be added but it's the first seeking mm. yeah I think that scriptures are clear that Stuff isn't evil. Uh, yeah. Material things aren't evil. But uh, you have to steward those things. So right. mm. once you have a lot and um, or there's um, a complexity in your life because of all the, the things you're trying to pursue or reach, you, you have to steward those things. You have to manage those things. You have to think about those things. They have to be a part of your daily life. And, right. And it can overcrowd the stewardship of the of the kingdom maybe we'd say it that way the stewardship of the purposes of god because we're so busy frantically kind of the rat race the idea of trying mm. to manage all of the the details and but deliberately simplifying and focusing on the main things and giving those priority over all of the things that society says we need to have or achieve mm. or pursue. Um, I think when I think of simplicity, I think of uh, maybe the simplification of our priorities that, that we may have yes. many parts of our life to say, uh, these are going to get my attention. Right. Uh, over the, the call of all the, the things. Yeah. As you said, possessions in and of themselves are not evil. I think simplicity brings a joyful unconcern for our possessions. Mm-hmm. We're not constantly fretting about what we have or what we don't have. There's a, just a joyful unconcern about our possessions. Mm. It's not wrong to have them, but uh, they just mm. like, well, you know, <laughs> they just stuff. Yeah, um, you mentioned seeking first the kingdom of God <coughs> and his righteousness. I think preceding that statement, Jesus uh, said, your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. Mm-hmm. And if there's a simplicity just in that, that possessions are things that God knows we need. But if we're willing to seek the kingdom first and leave mm-hmm. the way to uh, cause all those possessions and, and stuff um, in his hands, mm-hmm. uh, that to me, that's simplicity. Mm. Right. I um, think it orients us towards God yeah. rather than towards our stuff. I think that really naturally leads into the second, because when we uh, seek the kingdom first, then it doesn't matter whether we give the things away that we have. or it's Right. The second one's... Being sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah. seems yeah. like there's almost a logical next step when you pursue the discipline of simplicity. Then. Mm. And it only is natural that... We if sacrifice. the stuff isn't all that important, um, we can right. give that away and sacrifice those things. Right. And so uh, with sacrifice, we're making our time and our talents and our treasures available to others. Uh, it's sacrificing what I have and making them available to other people. And we see that modeled in the early church. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that modeled by Jesus. And so... Sometimes we do that, that act of sacrifice, that act of saying, well, I'm going to give some of my 
time or my talents or my treasure for the benefit of somebody else. It's a, a pursuit of being like Christ. Mm. It's I'm going to discipline myself to not take everything I have for my own benefit, to make myself more wealthy, to using all my talents to make me and my family wealthy or all of my time is about me and uh, my wife and my two kids, us four and no more kind of attitude. But it's a case of I will sacrifice for the good of somebody else. Sacrifice goes hand in hand with the whole idea of stewardship. Yes. And I, I think if I understand that I'm a steward which really means nothing is mine. I'm just a manager or a caretaker of everything that belongs to somebody else. And I mean, we say that um, the earth is the Lord's and everything comes from him and everything belongs to him. Um, but the discipline comes when we truly commit ourselves to being stewards. And when we are managing things that are not ours, it becomes a lot easier to share them than when we so tie to them because they are ours. And then, oh, I don't know if I can let go of this, or I don't know if I can give that time, etc., etc. And so if, if I truly understand that God is the owner of everything, owner. whether it's my time, my talent, or my treasure, um, and I'm pursuing godliness, it becomes a lot easier for me to make those sacrifices and, and share them and remind myself that, hey, others who need this are as important as my needs mm. and freely give because it, freely I've received. Yeah. It frees us from that anxiety that we might have of, well, you know, what do I do with my time and how mm. do I spend my money when we uh, recognize that we're stewards. And so that, that idea of sacrifice certainly, I think, brings freedom. Mm. Remember John Wesley, a uh, great... Uh, church leader a few hundred years back, he talked about spiritual disciplines being a means of grace. Yes. So it's a way of receiving the grace of God. And to think about sacrifice, which we always think of as a, a, as a negative, yeah, it's a hardship. Um, in Christ, uh, it's actually the reverse. That mm. There's a joyful sacrifice that's a means of grace for us to right. see and experience the right. It reminds the us presence of God. It so reminds us that others are as important as we are, mm. and so it's it is that means of grace, the grace of God, allowing us to get to a point where we love others as we love ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And so then, it's not a hardship; it's a grace. Mm. It's a gift. Yes. It's a get to, uh, not a have to. Exactly. And I think then it strengthens this idea of the brotherhood of man, that we're, we're, it's a we and a not a me. Mm, mm. And then, of course, that leads us to the last one that uh, we wanted to talk about, which is service. Uh, just And service is practiced in so many different ways, uh, hospitality, being available to listen to somebody, uh, helping people, walking along some, uh, alongside somebody who's struggling, friendship, uh, <laughs> help me out, guys. How mm. do we, what, what does service look like? Mm. 
Um, for me, service is <clears throat> any time that I go beyond myself and step out of my little circle of what you said earlier, us for no more, and just lift up my eyes and see those others that are as important as I am, and then use what God has given me or use what God has placed in my hands to be an instrument of mm. his grace and yeah. his blessing and his love, uh, his kindness, um, mm. to touch the life of somebody else. Right. I love that, going beyond ourselves. You know, I think of service as the the secret, um, uh, I guess, the recipe of uh, finding contentment that uh, we often want to find contentment in our life through uh, receiving. But really the the secret truth is that contentment comes through giving and service and right. being able to find that joy of mm. being able to um, give the talents, as you, Mike said, uh, freely to, uh, to those around us. And so... Mm. Yeah, I like the idea that in service it produces contentment, as you said, but in the hiddenness, it's unpretentious. It's not something uh, that we blow our horns about, and Jesus spoke about that, that in giving, <clears throat> in serving, we we don't let the left hand know what the right hand was mm. it the other mm. way around. Mm. Ra- the right hand doesn't know, well, whichever one. Depends which one you write with, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, it's this idea of hiding the hiddenness of our service. It's not um, showing off. And there's this sense of um, contentment that comes with that. Uh, and I know I've practiced that in my life um, many times where I've disciplined myself to help somebody else out financially or in some other way, but done it in such a way that nobody knows who the, benef- who the person was that gave. And I find so much more contentment when I practice the, the discipline of giving in secret. There's this joy of knowing that you've helped somebody without the applause that comes. Mm. Um, and the discipline is in not seeking that applause, not seeking the, the recognition. The challenge uh, in the um, hiddenness, I think as a ministry and possibly even as um, mission leaders, um, church leaders, is we live in a world where Results are, are, are so important and so sought after. And we kind of feel like if we don't uh, advertise the results and promote the results, then people are going to lose interest and we're not going to have any more supporters. Mm. And uh, Nobody's going to come on a mission trip because mm. we've got to talk about the results. And so it's, it's a real balance to report on the results and to praise God for the results without boasting right or without right. trying to you know create a an impression on others to look at me look what we've done look how great we are but ultimately in service to god we were able to do this in service to god we were able to reach these people right um and so become of what god is a part of what god is doing rather than 
look at the results and yeah. become a part of us. Yeah, and I don't think I'm saying that um, service must always be hidden because sometimes we serve as a model to others. Mm. We're modeling this to those who are watching us. I think basically when we're pursuing service as a discipline to godliness, then it produces the virtue of humility mm, in right. us. Yes, right. And mm. not pride. Yeah. And so any time when I serve, give, do something amazing, and I feel proud and want to boast about it, I have to watch that. Because in pursuit of godliness, that service will produce humility. Mm. 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 And that's often described as the chief virtue. virtue. Of, right. Yes. Of our spiritual yes. life. Right. Yes. Right. And so I think these three uh, of simplicity and sacrifice and service, uh, are they one of those um, disciplines of activity? Uh, you know, Dallas Willard talks about disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of activity. Those are the activity things, mm. things that we do, mm. disciplines that we do that then produces godliness in us. Mm. Well, I think that's a good place to land. And I love this conversation because for us as um, as leaders and as we think about the ministry of Orchard Africa, that these are the values that undergird who we are. We don't do it perfectly, but um, kind of going back to what you said at the beginning, that starting with the why, this is the the root of, of why we do what we do. And ultimately that... Uh, we would pursue godliness uh, as leaders and and equip others, right, to do that as well. And thank you for being on this journey with us and being a part of this conversation. And uh, we look forward to uh, continuing this this journey of uh, godliness and mission and ministry together with you. It's been wonderful chatting to you. Bye bye. Thank you so much for your time and for your support. We love you. Bye bye. Bye.